Well, good morning, Influence Church. Good morning, Influence Church. God bless all of you, and God bless America. The days we're living in are important days in your life because they're, they're really creating in you what kind of Christian you're going to be in the days ahead. These are not bad days because there's a refiner's fire that is taking place in the church. And out of this will come a better version of Christianity. Because those who are not serious about God are gonna become obvious. Those who are consumers, who like the comfort, they will drop off the playing field. The Bible said that evil men will grow worse over time. That those who know the Lord will grow brighter and brighter as we come to closer to the end of the age. So expect that they're going to see brighter, more powerful, more committed, stronger believers, but you're also going to see the difference between those who are taking Christianity as a hobby and when it was convenient and easy. You see, Jesus said that in the world you will have persecution. That was a promise. It's not one of the promises we like to remember, but it is a promise of God. But he said, be of good cheer, why? Because I have overcome the world. You see, my kingdom, the Bible says, is not of this world. And so if we're going to advance the kingdom, we're going to advance an other world kingdom into a world that doesn't understand what's going on. That's our job. We are ambassadors of the king from a heavenly realm who proclaim the riches of a servant of a king who died at Calvary for you and for, I, for me. He rose again to give us life, amen? That is the basis of our faith. It's the death, burial, and resurrection, and it's what we find in the Word of God. You see, the Word of God has to be your life source. When you read the Word of God, you have to understand this is the very breath of God. This is not about God. This is God revealing himself to you in written word, just as Jesus was the, the word of God revealed in human flesh. So when you read the word of God, you're encountering God as if you were in the presence of physical Jesus encountering God. Now think about that reality. When you pick up your Bible, there's something that happens. You start to read it and you go, wow, this is not like other books. It is living and breathing, the Bible says. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it divides the soul and the, and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, and it discerns the true intentions of the heart. The first attack in Eden was not on man. It was on the word of God. The devil said to Adam and Eve, has God said? If you can destroy the Bible or you can draw, draw drawing into uh, division the, the, the authority of the Bible, what you do is you erase what God has said. So all through the ages, what have people tried to do? Destroy the Bible. Change the Bible. Make excuses for the Bible. It's outdated. I mean, everything you can imagine is going on. So don't be surprised if things like that happen. Let me show you an image. I was going to show you this later in the message, but this is an image taken from Portland last night, 
And this is what's going on in the streets of Portland. Not only are they burning American flags, but they're burning the Bible as well. That's an actual picture taken from last night. Now, if you think this is racial, you've missed the entire point of what's happening. This is ultimately about a destruction of the republic and a destruction of Christianity in America. They're not burning the Quran. Have you ever wondered about that? Why don't they burn the Quran? Because it's not religious. It's about Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who can save your soul from hell. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to the next part of this. And no one comes to the Father except by me. If you can take a person's history away from them, you take their heritage away from them, you take away everything that, that they can look back on and go, this is what we should do or shouldn't do, and this is how life is important, and how do we learn those valuable lessons? Why is history important? I'm gonna give you three reasons just to start out today. Number one is your identity. You see, who are we as a people? When you erase the heritage of a people, they find themselves without identity. And we're living with people uh, all around us who are trying to figure out who am I and what am I supposed to do? Well, that's an identity issue. When a nation doesn't have an identity, it struggles. Morality, history teaches you about morality. We look back on history and we can see dark times in the history of America. We can see times of racism, sexism. We can see civil wars. We can see all kinds of things. But guess what? It teaches us about morality. It says, then what should we do? That's why history becomes so important. And then responsibility. Resp what should I do as a citizen? You see, we are not subjects to the king. We are citizens. And let me tell you what that means. That means it's our country not the politicians. This is such a critical part of understanding democracy that if you miss it, you miss out on what's going on. When a person burns a flag, which they have the right under free speech to do, but what they are literally saying is, I am burning my freedom as a citizen. I want to be subject to a king. This is a critical, important thing. When a person kneels to anything but God, they're becoming a subject to that thing they kneel to. Every despotic ruler in history demanded that its subjects bend the knee in submission to their authority. That's why we don't bend the knee to anyone but God. Understanding the past is the key to your future. I want to take you on a bit of a journey into English history and bring it back to American history. You see, because history repeats itself, doesn't it? If you know about history, then you can see the cycle and see what's happening. In 1664, King Charles II and the British passed a law making it illegal to hold church meetings of over five people. You see, the state controlled the religion, the Church of England. And the church was not subject to God, but it was subject to the government. There were those who said, no, we don't recognize a state-run 
church. Can you imagine the United States government running church? I'll let you make their conclusions on that. So it went on to say it prohibited more than five persons in addition to members of the family to gather for any religious purposes. Isn't it interesting that we've been told we cannot have church and you cannot have home Bible studies? Why does it say religious studies? You can't have religious studies in your home. It says Bible studies. You see, if you're really, if you read carefully, you can see what's really happening. In 1665, they passed the Five, the five Mile Act prohibiting clergymen from preaching or living within five miles of the town unless they swore never to resist the government because they were subjects to the king. In 1670, William Penn defied the government and preached the gospel in London. When the jury refused to convict Penn, the entire jury, including Penn, was thrown in jail. But can I remind you that God is in control of history? In case you sit around and wonder, what are we going to do? We're living in such horrible times. God is God. Do you think God is shocked? God's sitting in the heavens going, oh no, what am I gonna do? They got out of control in Portland and Seattle. Hey, let them burn the cities down and it'll be a great reminder of what's important in life. Right? In 1682, just 12 years after Penn was put into jail, it seems that William Penn's dad was a very famous, in fact, he was probably the most famous, the most successful admiral in England in the British Navy. And of course, you know at the time, it said that the sun never sets on the British Empire, and it was true. They had a mighty fortress and a mighty navy. But apparently, the king owed a debt to Admiral Penn, William's father. So King Charles gave his son William because his dad was dying, he gave him land in America, he gave him 45,000 square miles of land and called it Pennsylvania. Only God could orchestrate that. You're in jail one day and you get a gift of 45,000 square miles and a state named after you. You see, don't ever think that God is not in control of your history. You look at your history and you say, well, I'm not William Penn and my dad wasn't an admiral. It doesn't matter. Your God is the same God. You have to trust in your God. While the, that new establishment came to America, most countries demanded that citizens believe that the government dictated, but Penn's colony was called a holy experiment where Christians, Jews, and others who believed in God could live together in religious toleration. In 1701, Penn wrote, because no people can truly be happy, though under the greatest enjoyments of civil liberties, if abridged of the freedom of their conscience as a religious profession to worship. He said, you can never be free if someone controls your conscience and your religion. That is the basis of freedom. We have a large group of Romanians in our church, and many of them said this is how it all began in Romania, with the controlling of the government of religion. We came here to get away from that, and now we find that here in this country that we fled to. You see, what Penn said, this is American faith. 
It's not just Christianity. No, it's the freedom of religious conscience to follow your God. Now, I believe the Judeo-Christian mindset and and approach to the, the Bible is the foundation of American faith, but remember, we are a republic, and we say all men are created equal, and they're given rights that are given by God. And so my neighbor who might be a Muslim or who might be a Buddhist, I need to respect him and try to convert him. Amen? You see, that was indeed American faith. American faith. I launched American faith. I want to show you this. I'm going to keep reminding you what we're doing here because I believe it's so important. In fact, uh, later this month, we will have, we'll host an event for uh, American Faith Wolf, the first event we've had uh, for pastors in Southern California, and Mike Huckby will be on that Zoom call with pastors. So God is doing some great stuff. Here's the mission. American Faith is a coalition of faith-based individuals. That's you and I. In the United States, focus on educating and empowering individuals to understand and exercise their constitutional rights. You know, there's a global uh, goal in mind, if you haven't realized that yet. But you see, politics is never neutral. And behind politics, there's always a scheme somewhere. You know, the Bible reminds us about that. In fact, in the, in the future, here's what Daniel tells us about the coming days of the last days. It said, he, and that is the Antichrist, shall speak pompous words against the Most High. You see, one of the characteristics of the coming Antichrist is that he will exalt himself above God himself. He will be pompous in his, in his words. He will be arrogant. He will, he will say things that will make you as a Christian cringe because you'll go, wow, I, I can't believe anybody could be that strong. And he shall persecute the saints of the Most High. You know what I love about this passage is he uses that phrase, the Most High, two times. He could only use it once and it would be significant, but he wants to remind you that there might be those who would call themselves gods with a little g, lords and kings, but there's only one most high God, amen? Most high, and he shall intend, now look at this, he shall intend to change the times and law. So what's the strategy of the coming Antichrist in the future, whether that's tomorrow or a thousand years in the future, His strategy is, I want to change times and laws. I want you to get to stop thinking about the times you live in and the good times you had, and I want you to start thinking about what I tell you to think about, and I want you to, and I'm going to change the laws so that somehow it will adjust to where I want to take this nation or this world. In fact, you may have seen the opinion the Supreme Court ruled against a church in Nevada opening up, even though casinos much with many more people were open. And the Supreme Court, five to four, of the dissenting votes, one, the one justice said, there is no exclusion under a pandemic to the freedom to assemble in the First Amendment. In other words, he was saying, I don't agree with this, and here's why. You see, the First Amendment is great, isn't it? We live in a nation of that. But there's even a a higher law. You know what it is? It's God's law. We serve God, not Caesar. We don't serve the government. We are the country. That's what makes America great. 
And if we don't like what the politicians are speaking, then we just vote new ones in. But we have to vote. I just heard a statistic. 73% of the Christians in California did not vote in 2016. If that was you, I don't want to shame you. I want to encourage you in 2020. Do you realize that there are enough evangelical Christians in, Southern, in California itself that we could change the entire course of the election? And guess what? That's an American way of doing things. We don't have to burn down cities. All we have to do is vote. So I want to encourage you to do that very thing. Let me take you a little bit more into history. Karl Marx said, take away the heritage of a people and they are easily destroyed. Chuck Colson said, what sustains the norm? People say, I want to get back to normal. Do you really? The desire to avoid negative social judgment from one's peers. How many times have you saw something on social media and said, I don't know if I should respond to that because of the backlash? That's what he's talking about. Simply stated, out of a desire to avoid reprisal or isolation, people go along with what they think is the popular opinion, even if they object to that opinion personally. Instead of voicing their objections, they remain silent. Henry Louis Mitchin said, the urge to save humanity is almost always a false front for the urge to rule. When normal people experience a crisis, they just want to help people get through it. When ambition politicians see a crisis, they look at it as an opportunity to seize power and press their agenda. One more. Stalin said, crisis alone permitted the authorities to demand and obtain total submission and all necessary sacrifices from its citizens. Do you realize that Stalin made Hitler look like an amateur? Some of the numbers are up to 60 million people died under the reign of terror of Stalin. 60 million. That was communism. Remember, socialism is the baby, is the first step into communism. But I like what God has to say. He said this in Isaiah 46 Remember the former things of old. In other words, when you sit down and you have Passover with your children, you have communion with your children, it says you say, this is what was important. This is what God did. He redeemed us. He allowed us to get out of Egypt and cross the Red Sea. He gave us a land filled with, with uh, milk and honey, and God is God. Don't forget the former things. When you rise up, teach them God. When they go to sleep, teach them God. While they're awake in the day, teach them God. You can never get too much God in your life. People say, well, I don't want to be so heavenly minded. I'm no earthly good. That has never been a problem for Christians. The problem has been we've been so worldly minded, we have no heavenly good. We need to rise up. We need a fresh generation of people. And I'm not talking about an age. I'm talking about a generation that's alive today who say God is God. We will not bend our knee to bow. We will not bend our knee to anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. He said, for I am God. I am God. In another place in Isaiah, he said, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to any graven image. God does not share glory with anyone. 
He is the God of glory. He will return in glory, and he will take us to glory. Amen? He said, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. I love that. I know what the end is like. Do you know in Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world? Think about that. In the heart and the mind of God, the provision for man's sin was already done before man was ever created. You see, there's a principle in Scripture that before you have a problem, God has a provision. You, you go through time, and I'll say, I've got a problem. And you get all worried. Why are you worried? Do you think God didn't know about that problem? Did you ever think that problem was designed to shape you and refine you into the image of the invisible God? In the, in the life of your children, you try to make it so they never suffer, they never go through difficulty, and you might be thwarting the very purposes of God to bring them into Christian character. The best things that came out of, of difficulty was your character. When you were challenged and you were pressed and you were, you were up against the wall and you said, what am I gonna do? And then you called out to God. That's what God wants to happen. He wants to bring us to the place where we, we recognize we can't handle all of our problems, but God can, amen? He goes on to saying, from ancient times, things that are not yet done. God says, there are things out there I haven't even done yet, but I'm getting ready to do them. Saying, my counsel shall stand. Think about that. My counsel is going to stand. Everybody else's counsel is going to what? Fall. And I will do all my pleasure. I love that. God says, you know what? Ultimately, it's about me, not about you. Can I remind you you're not alone? Oh, I'm not talking about that person sitting next to you, six feet apart. I'm talking about you're not alone in this universe. You're not alone among humanity of those who believe in the Lord. I have to admit, I've had a few moments where I thought, why is there only 3,000 churches in California open? And I wasn't being critical of those who weren't. I just said, I feel like we're all alone sometimes. And God reminded me of 1 Kings 19. God says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah was going through a tough time. He was feeling sorry for himself. He felt like he was outnumbered. And, 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 the, and the prophets of Baal, this, this evil uh, group of, of, of demonic worshipers were, were pressing in on every hand, and he, he'd been running, and he was tired. He was emotionally drained. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. You ever felt like that? You probably have. You've probably been at work and said, I'm the only Christian. Probably been at school and go, how come nobody else will stand? You've been on social media and said, is anybody else going to chime in here and be a part of this? And you feel all alone, and that's a human response when you're out there and you're in the battle. But let me take you to the next section, 1 Kings 19, 18. I, that is God, I have reserved 7,000 to Israel, all who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. 
you're not alone. I led a man to Christ, he was Jewish. His father had been in Auschwitz. Name was Jim Gold. And after I got to know Jim a little bit, he told me a story. He said his brother had a twin and they were separated when the war broke out and, and his dad went off to Auschwitz. At the liberation of the camp, they were going through reading the names to see who was alive as they lined up these emaciated bodies of men who were the product of socialism or a despotic ruler named Adolf Hitler. And they called the, Jim's dad's name and he stood forward. And a man all the way at the end looked and it was his brother. He'd been in the camp with him for four years and didn't even know it. And they both survived the camp. I want you to know, God knows your name. You might be the only one stepping forward, but there's another brother in arms who will step forward with you when you step. You see, crisis, crisis will not go away. But there's a crisis is a catalyst for every generation. This is not the first crisis. This is not the last crisis that will happen. Every generation has a crisis. Let me give you a quick list of some of these. We had the AIDS crisis, anthrax, avian flu, the mad cow, the West Nile, the swine flu, E. coli, SARS, MERS, Zika, prescription drug, healthcare crisis, Y2K. Do you remember some of these? They were all, these were all called crisis by the media, right? National debt crisis, subprime mortgage crisis, unemployment crisis, 9-11 crisis, ISIS crisis, terrorism crisis, Patriot Act and NSA surveillance crisis, the oil embargo crisis, the BP Gulf oil spill crisis, environmental crisis, global warming crisis, climate change crisis, North Korea missile crisis, internet virus, cyber attacks, computer hacking crisis, identity theft crisis. How do we even survive? We're in, we've been in crisis our whole life. I got three options here. I can ignore it. This is not a crisis. This is humanity. This is what we go through as humans because we're not perfect, because we get it wrong. So is it judgment of God? Probably not. It's probably just stupidity of man. If you look at most of those crises, that's not God in there. Who came up with these goofy ideas of subprime? Who came up with this idea of, of 9-11? Who created ISIS? It was man's inhumanity to man and rejection of God. I can ignore it. I say, I'm not gonna ignore it. Then what are you gonna do? I'm gonna join it. Because I'm gonna join the crisis. I'm gonna get caught up in the fear of the moment. It's, I'm gonna let it control me. I like the third option. You can solve it. You know what we as Christians are supposed to do? Solve the problem. Do you know who solved slavery worldwide? It wasn't non-Christians, it was Christians. They solved slavery, they pressed, Wilberforce pressed England. Christians pressed this issue in America. It was always Christians. We solved problems. You know, it may be that God is gonna raise up one of you to solve a problem that no one ever conceived of in the future. You say, well, what can I do? You're creating the image of God. 
You've got a great mind. Never underestimate what you can do. The world is filled with common people who became popular because they realized that they were created in the image of God. They became successful. They became a leverage point for great things in the kingdom. Change the narrative. There's a narrative out there that's running. Change that narrative. Don't let that narrative control what's going on. Let courage, not fear, guide your destiny. Let courage, not fear, guide your destiny. I've been watching, as maybe some of you have, a guy named Major Williams. I think we've got an image of him here. I don't know if you've seen anything about him. He's running for governor. And when I first saw, when I first saw and I started reading about him, I started going, I, I kind of like this guy. I don't know that much about him, and I kept reading. I go, well, like, he's, got all, he's got all the right bullet points, you know? And, uh, you know, as a church, we don't endorse a candidate, uh, but we can certainly interview them and have convos with them and tell you about them. So uh, next Sunday, Major Williams will be here with us at Influence Church. And we're just gonna sit down and talk and, uh, and hear what he's got to say. See, that's American faith. It's American faith. I'm gonna give everybody a fair shake. I wanna hear what you've got to say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a, a decision. I'm gonna evaluate it. I'm gonna pray about it. I'm gonna think about it. And then I'm gonna vote. Amen? Amen. Hey, I want you to know, there was a vote cast on earth against you by Satan. He said, you're not worthy and you're going to hell. And then heaven said, you know what? We got three votes. We got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But God steps back and says, really, we don't even need to vote on this one. Because the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world is the one who, is, who says every time the accuser of the brethren comes, not guilty, not guilty. Do you know that you're not guilty because of your sins because of the Redeemer, because of the Savior, because of the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, who seated in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and every name and every, in every age that's ever going to come, and he's given you the gift of salvation. If you've not received the gift of salvation yet, can I ask you right now, whether you're in this, in this place physically, or whether you're watching online, can I ask you, would you receive Jesus Christ today? Would you make him the Lord and Savior of your life? Would you believe on him that you might be saved? It's a simple prayer, but it's really the faith that matters. A prayer like this one, and I encourage you to pray it. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me to give me eternal life. By faith, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Come, Holy Spirit, fill my heart. Write my name in the book of life that I might have eternal life. If that was your prayer, if those were your words, can you just thank him right now? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. If you're a Christian and you're here, you're watching, we need you to stand up. We need you to be bold. We need you to, to let your voice be heard that Jesus Christ is Lord and this is our Father's world. It's just been hijacked by others. 
But we're going to stand, we're going to speak, we're gonna lift up the name of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We're gonna see people saved, we're gonna see people healed, we're gonna see lives transformed, we're gonna see life given back where it's been robbed from others, amen? Amen?